Welcome to Just Sayin', a podcast produced by and recorded at Tri-State Worship Center. Now here are your hosts, Allison Gardner and Pastor Terry Wagner. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Just Sayin' podcast. I'm here. Uh, my name is Allison Gardner, by the way. Should mention that first. But I'm here with my pastor, Terry Wagner. Hello, Allison. Hello. And we're here with our sound magician guy, Tyler Staten. <laughs> sound SMG. magician guy. SMG. <laughs> SMG. <laughs> yes. yeah. Sound magician guy. I like it. I like it. It works. It's, it works it's for a me. good title. So. I like it. This season, we've been talking about faith, right? And it's been pretty great. And so we talked about, I think we opened with truth and we talked about um, how we believe that the Bible is the word of God and that is our foundation of truth. Mm -hmm. And then last week we talked about um, if God is real. And so that was kind of a segue into this week's episode, which is, is God good? So, yeah, it's a heavy topic. It is heavy. But I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited to see if I can keep my answers short. <laughs> <laughs> it excites me to try to keep my answers short. Challenge yourself a yes. little. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's just jump in. My first question is, is man inherently good or evil? Uh, I think I'm going to rephrase your question. No. Yes. Okay. I won't. <laughs> no, uh, I'm just kidding. Does God view man? as inherently good or evil. And the only reason I do that is we're looking at the issues of faith through the lens of Scripture. So I think the only person who has the right to say good or evil, God, right? Scripture says that you and I were made in the image of God, okay? Mm -hmm. Genesis one twenty six. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Of course, the fall stained us, no doubt, but I don't think it removed our goodness. I think if God created us in his image and after his likeness, I don't think that can change. I think it can be stained. I think it can be, you know, to where it needs to be reformed or repented or, you know, another R word that you can throw in there. But if God sees me as inherently evil, then that's going to cause a lot of problems for me. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a difficult time trying to find my worth or my self-esteem, or so I, I think I think I would answer the question: Does God see us as inherently good or evil? I think He sees us as inherently good, but because of the fall and because of the stain of sin, obviously we have to uh, we have to have a way to be restored back to uh, that original mm, condition. Yeah. I think that's key yeah. because the Bible says that we were we are children of wrath. Yes. Um, where do you know where that's from? I, 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 no I don't know where that's at, but I know I could find it real quick. But you're right. I yeah. mean, it says we're children of wrath, but we're also considered children of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Right. And so I think part of that wrath, the children of wrath, has to do with the fall. Because again, how how else can you? Resolve that God made us in His image. Is God inherently good or evil? I mean, what good. He, he's yeah. good, right? Yeah. God is good. So if we're made in His image, yeah, we should then, be good. You know, logically, again, the way <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. is, um, you know, that we are inherently good, but yeah. that that good has been like an onion, covered up with a lot of layers of stuff that. <laughs> that just it? that reminds me of Shrek. I know. Every I used time. to oh, doing the same thing. Like, that's the one I miss. Ogres have layers. <laughs> onions have layers. 
That's the one I missed. Now you guys can say I'm an ofer right now. Not an ogre. That's not, not an, an ogre. An ofer. Yes, I, I'm on the right side this time. He, he's ogre one today. Yes. Uh, but but I, I think that um, I think that God sees us as inherently good, which is why He has this plan to redeem us and restore us because He knows that we are. And again, I think when uh, children are born, I think they're born in sin. Yeah. Not because God made them that way, but because of what Adam and Eve did. Mm-hmm. That, that caused that stain to be there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. There children of wrath. We are, we are children of wrath. Yes. Um, but I, I think as far as how God sees us, I'm just saying, we, we, we don't really throw <laughs> that in there enough. I need just to get, saying? Uh, yeah. I mean, when I'm saying just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah. That it's the name of the podcast. Yes. Just right. saying. Yes. Uh, so I think he sees us as inherently good, um, but yet the stain of sin is on us. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, I, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he's made in the image of God and God is inherently good, mm-hmm. he knows that in his flesh there's nothing good. Uh, for the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. And I think what he means is that there has to be this process that leads us back to the inherently good part of, of who we are. So I believe God sees us. I'm going to say it this way. I think God sees us as inherently redeemable. Oh, that's good. Thank that's you. That's good. Yeah, Thank yeah. you, Allison. Yeah. You mean I can stay for another episode? Yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll keep you on. <laughs> good. Maybe. <laughs> Oh. We'll see. <laughs> it's still early. We're only yeah. five minutes in. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we've established that I guess we're both inherently good and evil at the same time, but we're redeemable, redeemable. like you said. Yeah. So how much does sin impact our lives and our relationship with God? Well, I mean, it's a great question. And I think I think there's there's two camps of that question. One is that we don't ask it enough, but then there's another camp that asks it too much. You know, that whole analysis to paralysis thing, how does sin affect my relationship with God? And I'm, I'm over analyzing it to the point where I, you know, find myself paralyzed. Right. And so sin, I see yourself too far away from God that you're not, that you feel or think you're not redeemable, not redeemable. I think that sin separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, your iniquities, your sin, have separated you from your God. Um, uh, But yet, how far does it separate us? And and people want to get into, you know, is there too far? Um, You you can go to Luke Luke 22. Uh, There's a lot of things in that chapter, but one of them is the Last Supper. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says that he's going to die and that they will all uh, go away. And Simon Peter's like, not me. I'm going to be with you till the death, right? And then Jesus lets him know that he's going to deny him, that, that Simon Peter will deny Jesus. Side note, you know, Judas did some bad stuff. He betrayed God, but he never denied knowing God, right? right. So let's say that denying God's a pretty bad thing, yeah. right? But then Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 32, talking to Simon Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And I always thought that was an interesting statement that, you know, denying Jesus, I think, is a sin. Do you guys agree that denying Jesus yeah. is a sin? 
But yet Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail, which yeah. tells me I, there can be sin right. that separates me from God, but that doesn't mean my faith is gone. It's not out the window. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's that faith then that is that little kernel of wheat in us, that little splinter in our brain, you know, that kind of leads us back to repentance, which, right. is, which is what happened with Simon Peter. You know, I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail and that when you have returned to me. So again... Your faith won't fail. You're going to deny me, but your faith won't fail. But yet you're going to be far enough away that you've got to return. Right? So I think sin does separate us from God. And, you know, there's a, there's a theology that says sin doesn't impact a relationship at all. Um, I hope that theology is right, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't abide by that particular theology, but I hope it's right. But whether it's right or not doesn't matter. I'm still going to wake up every day and try my very best to live the best I can to be a Jesus pleaser. And so I think sin does definitely impact the relationship, drives us away. It does not necessarily have to remove our faith because I think the faith is what then points us back to uh, what we need to return to. That makes sense? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Are you just saying that because you're my friend? No, I'm oh. not. It does make no, sense. No, you're not my friend? I, I'm saying, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> yes, she is your friend. She, no, it is not. Okay. No, wait. All right. Now I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I'm trying to establish here in the direction of these questions that we're going in is that we are a sinful people and, um, you know, we have this holy and perfect God that um, has never sinned before. And so we, our sin totally separates us from him before we accept that forgiveness and stuff. So my next question is, why do we need a savior? Why do we need a Savior? Well, we have to define the word Savior, right? A Savior, a person who saves someone. Uh, the Greek word deliverer is, is where the, the word comes from. Uh, and it's a simple story. You know, when Adam and Eve uh, sinned, it separated them from God. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a lot of sacrificing going on, trying to um, uh, appease God, if you will, to appease the sin, to stay it uh, for a while. Uh, but then Jesus left heaven, came to, to earth as the ultimate sacrifice, the, the pure and spotless lamb of God um, to be sacrificed for the sin of the world. And so we need a savior to find our way to be restored back into right relationship, the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden. For us to be reestablished to that relationship, we need a savior, a person who saves someone, a deliverer. And that's where we get, I mean, John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, that the world through him might find a savior. Yeah. And so I, I think the, the easy answer is we need a savior to be restored in the right relationship with God. That Savior is Jesus, God's Son, who died for us. And uh, without that, um, Jesus said, I, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth and the light. And, and there's no way to get to the Father except through him. And I know that's a difficult thing in our culture, in our society, to uh, speak of an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world, Right. It, but it's Jesus, and, and he is the Savior, and we need him to be restored back in the right relationship with God. Mm -hmm. All right, so 
Um, you know, obviously, like you said, we um, are in desperate need of a savior because of our sin. So people who aren't Christian, who have not accepted that forgiveness um, or and repented of their sin, is there a way for someone who doesn't have Christ to be good, to be a good person? Are there good people in the world who don't know Jesus? Well, I think there's a lot of good people in the world that, that don't know Jesus. The, the, the issue becomes... What's good enough, right? I mean, can a person be good enough without a Savior? I mean, if you want to tie those two questions together. You know, John uh, 6, 28, Jesus says, uh, or someone asks Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? What what do they require? So they kind of have that in a plural way. And, and Jesus responds, the work, singular, of God is to believe in the one that he has sent, to believe in Jesus. So you can be good. My, I have a brother that uh, lives down around Atlanta, and uh, he, he was raised just like I was. He, he knew who Jesus was, and he knew, you know, the whole Christianity story, but he rebelled, went away. And every time I would talk to him in that interim, he would bring that up. You know, I'm a good person, Terry. I'm a good person. And, you know, I know it's a cliche, and I don't really like cliches, but you know, good people will split hell wide open because mm-hmm. it, you can be good, but how good is good enough? It's never good enough until you know Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I think there are good people, um, but the the problem is is that they, they can be good people without Jesus, and that does not make them ready for eternity. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, in comparison to God, uh, when we call God good, I would not call anyone good right. on this earth well, because— you know, God is perfect. God is holy. And we, without him, we are, I would, I would not use the definition good right. if we're using it in, in terms of God. Right. We, we are right. Yeah. But we, but we ain't good. <laughs> we ain't good. Well, uh, and I have that uh, on a few notes that I scratched down. Luke eighteen eighteen, they asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And the assumption is clear that Jesus is a good person. Good people go to heaven. So what do I got to do to get in the group, right? right? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus' reply is, why do you call me good, right? And, it, and then he goes on to say what you said, which is no one is good but God alone. So I, I, the simple truth is that the issue is not about good people not getting into heaven. The problem is much worse than that, really. The question really is who on earth could get in at all. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Without knowing a savior, yeah. someone who has come to save yeah. someone, a deliverer. Yeah. I agree. All right. So we've talked about man and uh, our sin and our fallen condition. So let's talk. Let's talk about God now. Hey, that's a good topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is a big one. Is God wrathful? Hmm. Is God? full of or characterized by intense anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the word wrathful. Well, let me just pick one scripture. And there's, there's a ton of scriptures about the wrath of God. Let me just pick one. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God, so the answer to the question obviously is yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the answer to the question, is God wrathful? Yes. The the answer is a simple yes. But in our pluralistic society that we live in, 
rather than us accept the fact that God is a wrathful God, we have decided to make God in our image rather than let him make us in his image. And Mm -hmm. our image is, you know, that, hey, take it easy. You don't have to be so angry. You don't have to be so mean, right? And so uh, God, uh, in that society, we've created God in our image and after our own likeness, and we put forth this doctrine that God is love, and only love would thus ever uh, punish, would never punish sin. I mean, yeah. he, he is love. The Bible says that God is love. Yeah. Uh, and I know we're going to, we probably are going to touch on that in another couple of questions here. But God is a wrathful God, but I think he needs to be a wrathful God, mm. yeah. you know, to, uh, to be able to deal with unrighteousness, like it said, and people that suppress the truth. Yeah. And I think God's view of wrath shows us just how much weight our sin has and what that punishment um, entails. I think, and sorry, I think some people also have kind of a false uh, pretense, I guess, of of what wrath means in this scenario. Like you said, uh, you have have said before about a lot of people have a picture of God with the scissors ready to cut the string and send you to hell uh, for sinning. But then I think of it like as an earthly father, you know, I love my children enough to discipline them when they need it so that that corrects their behavior. And he's the same way. And not only the discipline part of it, but the eternal consequence of it, which, again, I know we're going to get there in a minute, but, you know, there is eternal consequences to our actions. And without a wrathful God to to get our attention, you know, to to jerk a knot in our tail— then, you know, there's a good chance that we could just keep on walking and never notice that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, I don't, and I don't know how else to say it. I don't want to say that I'm glad he's a wrathful God, but I'm glad that he's a wrathful yeah. God, you know. What's the alternative? Yeah, right. exactly. The alternative is. We're glad that he yeah. is exactly who he, he is. Amen. And who we need him to be. Exactly, right. yeah. yeah. Um, I think so, like you said, so often people just see God as love and they don't understand um, how he can be both at once. Right. Well, uh, the old, what's the old saying? I think I tried this on a couple episodes ago, and I don't know <laughs> if I said it right. But, you know, love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. You know, he is love, but he's, he's a God of love that will give us the truth, and sometimes that truth is correcting uh, and rebuking and instructing and all the things that we need. And same way with children. I think, and again, maybe you could tell me where in the Bible it, it talks about, you know, that if, if a child is uh, not disciplined, if God doesn't discipline us, we are as though we were uh, children born out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. And I believe one translation even says the word, you know, uh, bastards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's how important the wrath of God is to discipline us and correct us, but not just not just in our seeking and searching for the relationship with him, but for that eternal purpose of, of heaven and hell. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's just skip down to that question oh, then boy. about God being simultaneously loving and wrathful since we're already, we're already on that subject. Because one of the best illustrations I think I've heard of um, this is that, you know, as humans, we think that we are, um, you know, 
one third this this uh, characteristic, one third this characteristic, and then another third this one, right? Um, and we can't have contradicting ones in that in us. So we can't, it's hard for people to see that God is one half wrathful right. and one half loving yeah. because that seems to contradict each other. But God is on a whole nother spectrum than we are. Um, he's not loving one moment and wrathful another moment. He's 100% loving at all times and 100% wrathful at all times. And he does everything that he does acting out of his character fully and completely. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for us to understand it in that way. I, I agree with you. And, you know, it's the shortest answer I have on, on all the questions <laughs> that you sent me because I, here's, here's how I would answer the question how is God simultaneously loving and wrathful? Someday, Allison, you will be a parent. Uh, Allison.com. And it is, as a, a, it is a parent. <laughs> you will be a parent. Good too. As a parent, this issue is really not that hard to see mm -hmm. about being loving and wrathful. I wanted my children to do right. I wanted my children to do good. When they didn't, do right or they didn't do good, there were consequences. When I was growing up, the consequence was a whipping. Uh, I didn't whip my kids that much. I did whip them, but it was more of, you know, grounding them mm -hmm. from something or there was some kind of a consequence to their action. And so uh, my dad, when, whenever I would get in, well, I didn't even have to get in trouble for my dad to whip <laughs> me. He just, he whipped me for no reason at all. If there was CPS around when I was growing up, I'd have called them, <laughs> but they weren't. Uh, and and I, I mean, I would get a whipping, and I, a lot of times I wouldn't even know why. And I said, when I, when I become a parent, I'll never do that. I will never do that. And so I didn't. When uh, Josh would do something wrong, I would uh, go to his room with him, sit down, and I'd say, you know what dad's got to do? And he'd start crying, of course. Yeah, I know. And I said, you know why I'm doing it? Make sure he understood what mm -hmm. the consequence was about. And then I give him a spanking and hug him. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah, how yeah. can God be good <clears throat> and wrathful? Yeah. How can he spank us and then hug us? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that is that. I mean, that's how I see it. No, and, that's good. And, and so I think that you sometimes, know, sometimes a talking to just doesn't get no, it done. That, it, well, I mean, there's some people today that think the, it does. One, <laughs> two, two and a half, two and, a half, <laughs> two and three quarters. <laughs> Uh, you know, hey, that's enough. Time out. And yeah. I, I'm thinking, like, if there was time out when I was growing up, I'd be all about it, man. You mean whipping or time out? Oh, give me some time give me out. Some time out. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think that if there wasn't, <laughs> if there wasn't, as Allison shakes her head, no one can see that. Um, I, I think that if there wasn't, you know, consequences to the action, uh, that would lead to a problem. But if there was not a loving God, that enacted those consequences, yeah. I think that's even a bigger problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think a lot of the times people uh, will put the put the God of Israel, uh, the God of the Old Testament, in contrast with God in Jesus. So speak to that. Is the same God uh, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, or are they different? I think that obviously not. I think they are the same. There's no question about that. They are the same, but I think they're represented uh, in in different peoples, right? Uh, God, we we interpret God of the Old Testament through the Jewish people, through the Hebrews, 
And then Jesus comes and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then suddenly God gets interpreted through that group of people, those, those new Christians, and even to us here today. But, but here's just a couple of scriptures. Isaiah 41, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Mm. Right? So there's yeah. one God, mm-hmm. Old Testament, New yeah. Testament. Uh, James 2 and 9, New Testament. You believe that God is one, you do well. So one God, even the demons believe and, and shudder or tremble. In Judaism, there is this thing called the Shema. Shema, it's a prayer uh, that they do, and it's based on Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Yeah, the Alpha and Omega. There you go. And so it's the same God, but I think he's seen differently by who's representing him at the time. I think the Old Testament... um, Gives us this picture of God that uh, opens up the earth to swallow people. Uh, a God that tells his people, go in and take the land and kill everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, kill the men, the women, the children, get rid of all. Uh, but then all of a sudden you turn this corner called, you know, Old Covenant to New Covenant or Old Testament to New Testament or Hebrew Bible to Christian Bible, if you will. And all of a sudden we have this guy named Jesus that's not saying all that stuff. But it's the same God, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's just how we see him represented and not to take, not to let us off the hook. What Jesus did was he took the things that God had externally and made them internal. Um, you know, if, if you murder your brother, Moses said, this is what's going to happen. But Jesus said, if you just hate him, right? Well, hate is not necessarily an external thing. Hate is an emotion that I have towards somebody, Um and so I think Jesus took what what God uh, was trying to represent in the people and the children of Israel. Jesus took that external thing and made it internal. And so sometimes we look at that and we think, well, this, this is not the same God. But it is the same God. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this whole dispensation of grace, and I know we're, we're not wanting to get into that today, but, I mean, I think that that comes into it as well, that people... You know, people say, well, you know, we live in this dispensation of grace, and so, you know, it's grace, 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 everything's grace. But I think they cheapen it when they use it to, like, approve whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. And, and I think that, that that cheapens it. So Christianity is the only worldview that teaches grace. Mm-hmm. None of the other worldviews, and when I say worldviews, I mean religions. Yeah. None of the other religions teach grace. We're the only ones. And so because that's an element in there, that's that's one of those little dynamics in there. I think sometimes we use that to filter uh, God. And when we do that, uh, he can look different, yeah. but it's not but he's not different. It's exactly. the same God. yeah, yeah. Well, what a what a good representation of how God can be wrath and love all in the same Old Testament, New Testament. Right. it it it's almost the you could. I'm going to use a big word here. Personify. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. To the to the the father who needs to uh, administer discipline to his child, but then afterwards going in and having that conversation out of love that says this is why I did what I did or right. you know had to do that. Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I'm reading, I'm going through Isaiah right now, and it's been, it's been pretty powerful because I think that when we understand God's character, it helps us read these stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament in a completely different way. And um, it's just, you know, one minute he says, you know, you, I, you all have, have turned against me. And you're going to be punished for it. You know, I'm not going to be on your side now and you're going to fall to this, this army and they're going to overtake you. And then the next minute he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So he, this, this love and this wrath is carried over into the new Testament and it's the same in the old Testament. Um, I think, I I don't know if it was you. You'll have to tell me if it was you. Oh boy, it depends on if it was good or not. (laughs) No, it was great. It was one of the- Oh, well then it was was definitely him. It was was the best. But they were teaching about um, Noah and the flood. Yes. And um, it was, you know, we were talking about how um, everyone was wiped out, all Mm -hmm. of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I think it was you. And you said, um, the question is not- why did God wipe everybody out? Why didn't he let anyone live? The The, the question really is, why did he let anyone live right. in the first place? Right. Was that you? Yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you. That Thank was, you so very much. That was great. No, I love that because it's so true. Well, it, it is. And and again, you, you kind of use that in today's world. Everybody, this coronavirus thing hits and everybody's like, it's God. He's wiping out mankind. I was like, no, I don't think so because... Think of how bad the world had to have been in Noah's day mm-hmm. for God to go, eh, going to kill them all. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not what's going on here. And and so I, I think— And it's got to be worse now. Well, you would think it'd it be worse then. now. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, there's another um, angle to the, you know, God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament kind of uh, dialogue there. And, and Andy Stanley wrote a book irresistible. And and the theme of the book is uh, if Jesus was so irresistible, everybody seemed to go to him, why has the church become so resistible? Mm. And part of his uh, unpacking all that, he got accused of saying that the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore, which is not what he said at all. And again, I've, I've read the book, but he said that the Old Testament was was written to a particular group of people for a particular time, right? The, the children of Israel. It didn't say that there weren't things in there that we could learn. Mm. There weren't precepts and, and principles in there that we could glean from. Uh, but he said that he feels like why the church has become so resistible is we have try instead of defining them as this is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and this is the New Testament, we try to meld them together. And he said when we do that, it's really confusing. Because you do have this God that, you know, he's, he's vengeful, wrathful. I mean, he's, what was the last words that, that uh, uh, Lot's wife heard? Hey, what's that over there? And she turns around <laughs> and looks and she turns into salt, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh. Yeah. I don't really see that happening in the New Testament. Right. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but at least it's not recorded that way. But I think it's because the New Testament is more through that prism of Jesus and in the Old Testament, there there wasn't a prism. It was it was God and and the acts that He took to try to teach His people to be His people. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, we're already on the, talking about this, but might as well voice <laughs> it in a question. Okay. Why does God seem to be so strict? Well, I, I think again, it's a relative term, isn't it? 
I mean, what is strict to someone may not be strict to someone else. I'm going to say it this way. I think it's because we as human beings in general, we don't like people being strict, (laughs) right? We, we don't like we don't like school administrators being strict we don't like our bosses being strict we don't like our parents to be strict our government our government to be strict yes and so I think that's the problem in the world is that we don't want to be told what to do yeah. and when we are told what to do uh, we consider that to be some sort of strictness so somehow you somehow you have to to wash one against the other God is strict there's no question about that. But again, you go back to the question, is there any good people out there? Well, yeah, there are good people, but how good is good enough? Well, how strict is too strict, right? right? Um, You you see that in the way that that children are are raised. You see that uh, in in the government. You know, when is it, where is the point where it's too strict? Well, I don't think with God you can, I don't think you reach that point. I mean, he does what he has to do to get our attention. When, When the cost is so high. Yeah, eternity. You you have to be. Francis Chan, and, and again, I, I used this phrase a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think Allison understood what it was, but I think maybe now. you know, I, I read after a lot of people. I read after people that are not even of the same theology that I am, and that's fine. I want to know. I want to learn. But I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You know, I'm going to <laughs> keep what's good, and then I'm going to get rid of it. Francis Chan, I mean, there's plenty of things that I don't necessarily like about Francis Chan, but he gave an illustration once with a rope. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but he takes a rope and stretches it all the way around his sanctuary. And he has the very end of it, maybe four or five inches of the end of it with red tape. Now he's got that covered up with his hand. And he says, you know, this is eternity, this rope that goes all the way around. And we spend all of our time preparing for this. And he holds up that little four inches of red tape or 70 years on this planet or 80 and we get so caught up in that that we forget about this is about eternity. Mm-hmm. This is about the life after this life that's yeah. going to be forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when you when you mix that in, the mixing bowl with God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, he is a, he is a wrathful God, he is a strict God, and you say, but on the line of eternity, that makes sense, right? Yeah, you know, and he, I think he is strict for our protection and for our provision. And when we feel like that that we're being hemmed in, I think that's when we rebel against that and we say, "Oh, that's just too strict. Nobody could be a Christian and follow those kinds of rules, or yeah. or whatever the case might be." So I think more often than not, it's it's for our own protection, uh, even when we see it contrary to that, right? Yeah. Because. Things in in our humanity, things have to make logical sense. That has to be rational. We have to be able to put on a flow chart, and and you know put it all out there. But God doesn't do that. He's not that way at all. He he does some things that uh, well Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine secret things belong to the Lord. He does things in ways we'll never understand. Yeah. Yeah. But I think because we try to understand it, then we say he's too strict. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. Yeah, you know, the whole purpose of us doing this topic um, for this podcast is because, you know, we want to help people try and understand who God is and why he does what he does when it seems like from a worldly perspective that he is, you know, 
too strict, like you said. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are ways that we can understand this, like we're, like we're going through scripture and we're talking about how holy God is and how perfect and how sinful we are. But like, like you were saying, Isaiah 55, eight through nine, for my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. There's always going to be that, um, you know, area where we're not going to understand everything about God and what he does. And if we did, he wouldn't be God. Exactly. That That's a great point. And I wish I'd have made it instead of you, but <laughs> it was a great point. I, I mean, if I had a God that I could figure out. Why would I want to serve that exactly. God? Exactly. You know, yeah, he's not He's not eternal if we can understand him. If our short little human life is something that we can... Well, where does faith come in? Yeah. Right? I mean, some things we just have to believe, believe by yeah. faith. Some things we just have to do by faith. If, if I did everything in my life and it didn't require any faith, I don't need a God. You know? Uh, amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, I got an amen there. <laughs> <laughs> so... And this is the kicker, I think. I think this one this one is the reason why so many people cannot grasp Christianity and they turn away from it or they've been a Christ, they've been a Christian, quote unquote, if if they even really were in the first place, who knows, but um and they turn away from that. Um is why does God allow bad things ha- to happen to good people? And you're right. I mean, I, I think in, in my experience of talking with people who say, you know, the church not relevant for my life anymore, or I don't believe in God, nine out of 10 of those people have had something bad happen, mm-hmm. you know, that, that God got blamed for and they couldn't figure out. But the short answer, which again, I know this won't be a short answer. <laughs> the short answer is that God allows these bad things to happen to good people because he gave us free will. We have, we have free will to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And unfortunately, not everybody does good. Mm-hmm. There's some people that does does bad, do, do, do bad. Do, do bad. So, um, and I heard Ravi Zacharias say this one time on a video years ago, that the highest ethic that God has is love, right? God is love. Not, not God represents love. Not God is a picture of love. God is love. The highest ethic that we have is love. But the only way that can be expressed is through free will, mm-hmm. right? I cannot be forced to love someone. That's not love, right? And that's not, that's, not the, that's not the kind of love that we have for God or for each other. So the supreme ethic that God has given us is the ethic of love. It's the peak of what Ravi Zacharias called intellectual and emotional alignment. It's the very pinnacle of it all. This thing that we call love, which places value upon the other person of worth and as something to be protected. But you can never have love without it intrinsically being woven into freedom. You, can, you can't have it. Yeah. I, I've said this for years, and you guys have heard it. You know, God said, let there be a tree. There was a tree. The simple fact the tree exists, that blesses God. And then uh, he created man. Now, the difference between man and that tree is the tree does not have a choice. The tree blesses God simply because it exists. But man has a choice to bless God. And so when when you have love as a supreme ethic and the freedom of the will to choose that love, then all the other contingencies come into play. And that is there are some people who choose not to love, who choose to do evil, wicked things. Um, in, In the particular video that I was watching with him, the, the guy that was asking the question was basically talking about the school shooting in Florida, uh, Parkland something something Parkland shooting where uh, several kids that were 
Their lives were taken. And his question was, why didn't God stop that gunman? Well, I mean, I think all three of us would agree it'd be it'd have been awesome if God would have stopped them, mm-hmm. right? Because those lives would have been spared. But the simple fact is God's not going to interrupt someone's free will. The person who did the shooting had a free will. They could have chosen love, but they didn't. They they chose evil. They chose wicked. So it's not really why does God allow bad things to happen? God gives us free will. And in that free will, there are some people that just make evil, wicked decisions. And it's not at the hand of God. I mean, think of if God would have stopped that gun from firing that day, how many times would he have to do that every day around the globe you know, to protect us, to, to not allow bad things to happen. Well, simple fact is there's bad people in the world, and because there's bad people in the world, bad things happen. And uh, e- even to be able to ask the question, Allison, is because we have free will to ask the question, right? We have free will, and so we even ask the question. But the simple fact is that, that bad things happen to good people uh, because we have free will to make that decision. Uh, there was a rabbi wish I could remember his name. He wrote a book. He basically, his, his thesis in the book was that God created everything, spun it into motion, and then just stepped back. And it's not involved. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm, right. I'm not saying God's not involved. He is involved. But I don't think he's going to interrupt free will to keep bad things from happening to people because uh, that's, that's how we know that there is evil in the world. Well, that and... and- not to take away from what you're saying, because there well, obviously you, you can't. is evil. But I mean, the the free will could be even something as choosing to look at a text message on your phone while you're driving, and next thing you know, you're running a red light mm-hmm. and hitting somebody. Yeah. It was still a choice that was made. Whether or not that person is evil, right, doesn't matter yeah. at that point. Correct. But just the simple fact that they had a choice to make and they chose, unfortunately, the wrong one. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to remember that we live in a fallen world. And, um, you know, honestly, we, we don't really have a place to question God, but he, he, he welcomes that, you know, yeah. it's like we were saying, we're, we're sinful and, you know, we, we deserve death. Um, yeah. but God welcomes our questions. Um, but you know, we don't really have a, have any right, um, except from the foundation of Jesus to ask those things. Right. Um, but speak to, speak to situations that aren't, um, that don't come of free will, quote unquote, like a natural disasters or, um, a terminal illnesses or stuff like that. Well, I think those things are, are the result of the fall as well. I, I think, uh, was it a scripture in Romans that says the whole earth is groaning and, and the result and, or the cause of that groaning is, is the fall. I mean, I know that some people would say, well, that's a cop out. That's an easy answer, but it's the answer. Before sin entered the world, I mean, there was this walking with God in the cool of the eve in this perfect place called the garden, you know, perfect garden, perfect people, perfect God. But then because of free will, they made a choice that that introduced into the world this thing called sin. And, and sin has done a lot to bring about the things that you're talking about, Allison, the natural disasters. I think even some terminal illnesses that we have in, in our world, they're, they're the result of the simple fact that we live in a fallen world. And um, I don't think my mother-in-law, who died of cancer seven or eight years ago, she didn't make a decision to have cancer. 
but she lives in a fallen world. My mother-in-law was a, if there was ever an angel that walked on this earth, it was my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, she unfortunately became part of that, um, became a victim to the fact that we live in a fallen world, yeah. you know, and there are things like that that happen that are the result of, of, of that fallenness. But Again, you connect that fallenness with the person who says, I'm going to make a bad decision here. I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to start the fire. I'm going, to, you know, it's, it's crazy how these wildfires out west, um, a lot of people want to blame a lot of people and yeah. government agencies, but they've arrested 12 people for arson, right? <laughs> I mean, people <laughs> made a decision to start some fires that now have become what some might think is a natural disaster, but it was it was a decision that someone made. I'm not saying someone can make a decision and cause a tsunami, um, but I think that tsunami is the result of, of us living in a fallen world. Yeah, and without things like that, we would never we would never have the picture of the perfect savior. Uh, we would True. never we would never see the need for that. Yep. So um, my last question: How can a good God send people to hell? Well, Allison, the short answer is <laughs> the short answer is he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't send people. We make we make a choice. We are free moral agents. He he has made so many provisions for us not to go to hell, right? But but still, some people make the choice that I'm not going to accept Jesus as my Lord. I'm not going to believe in God. I'm not. And because of that, there is a place of eternal punishment. And so the answer is that God doesn't send people there. We choose to go there. And he instead has made all of these provisions. And and the statement, just the statement that God is all loving and some people go to hell, they're, they're not explicitly contradictory. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you can only have one or the other. I think they go together. And that comes into how can God send people to hell when he's a loving God? He doesn't. He, he, matter of fact, there's a scripture in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, he, I mean, he's making every provision he knows how to prevent people from going there, but people are still going to thumb their nose at God and they're still going to deny uh, the power thereof. And even some people who, who think that they are good, I mean, was it Matthew chapter six? You know, we did all these great things for you, Lord. And he's like, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And and so, um, you know, I, I think that he's trying to make those provisions for us and again, John three sixteen, he loves us so much he sent his son to die for us that if we just believe we don't have to perish, we can have eternal life. And really, we have every opportunity from now until we take our last breath to even make that decision. Uh, unfortunately, some people don't know when they're going to take their last right, breath, and that's right. obviously a big issue. But like you said, he's made all these provisions, and you literally have until you take your last breath to make that decision for Christ. And it can be that and last breath. it can breath. be. Yeah. I, I, let me just explicitly say that God has no desire to cast people into hell. That's not his desire. His desire is that people repent. Amen. Right? Yeah. He fervently loves every person that he has placed on this planet from the beginning to now. He's not, it's, it's not God's, God is love. It's not his nature to say, well, I created this person so that I could cast them into eternal darkness. He, that's, 
But but we have people that think that that's the way he is, and and we don't have time to get into why people think that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people think that. But God reaches out to individuals countless different ways to try to prevent them from going. So it's not that God sends people there. It's that we make a choice to ignore all of his uh, opportunities to us to come to know him in right relationship that would prevent us from going going to hell. Yeah. Truth is, we deserve it. We do deserve it. <laughs> I mean. Well, most people deserve there's it. There's that wrath of Allison. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I think <laughs> no. it's important yeah. to note that we deserve hell. We do. Yeah. And, and the Bible is explicit about that. Um, you know, but God offers us a loving alternative. He does. And um, he's so good to, to give us that because, you know, without it, we would be damned. Yeah, we have no, we have no hope. Yeah, yeah. no hope at all. None. Um, but yeah, so I hope uh, what you get from this podcast is God is good. Yeah. Um, he is loving and he is wrathful. Um, but once you grow in that relationship and you understand his character more and more, it's impossible not to fall more in love with him right. and uh, who he is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you all so much for joining us. I know it was a longer episode, but it was a good discussion. I, I thought I made all my answers very short. <laughs> Just saying. I think it was because Tyler, m- m- mostly me, me. Oh. I interjected a lot. but And we like it when you do it's that. Okay. Yeah. But thank you all for joining us. Uh, email any questions that you have to twagner977 at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. See you.